Cameras are ubiquitous in today's world. They're on our computers and our smartphones. They're at traffic corners and parking garages on storefronts and over the doors of ordinary modest homes, recording with ever-increasing precision. We have technology like Google Earth, allowing us to see in real time virtually every corner of the world. This was not the case in 2006. At Mosaic at Millennia, the condo complex where Jennifer Kessie lived, there were no cameras at that time. Not in the entrance, not in the parking lot, not in the stairwells. It's really hard to imagine this now, but that was the reality on January 24, 2006, when Jennifer disappeared in Orlando on what was to be an ordinary workday at Central Florida Investments Timeshare Company, where she worked as a finance manager. Technology has not helped us in Jennifer's case. One iota. One iota. It's come so far along, but not for Jennifer. Drew Cassie, Jennifer's father, shared with me his frustration. Google Earth was in beta. We actually went to Google and said, please, we know you're in beta. Were you looking down on the streets that day? No, we weren't. We're sorry. We had connections in the military. We went to them. His big brother looking down. No, I'm sorry. We were not looking down that day. In the first 48 hours of the search, one question baffled everyone. How could a 24-year-old woman be forcibly taken from a luxury apartment complex off from a busy roadway in broad daylight without anyone seeing it? But there was a camera watching that day, two of them, located about one mile east from where Jen lived at an apartment complex in a high-crime area called Huntington on the Green. The images it captured are haunting. On January 26th, two days after Jennifer went missing, a woman living at Huntington on the Green called police. The woman had been watching the local news and spotted a black Chevy Malibu that looked like Jen's in the parking lot of the complex. Today, her 2004 Chevy Malibu was found at this apartment complex near her condo. The 24-year-old was last heard from Monday night. This is the first big break in her case. Today, when that car was found, uh, we would like to have uh, found Jennifer uh, with that car alive and well. When deputies with the Orlando Police Department arrived at the scene, they confirmed it was indeed Jennifer's car. What they also found were two cameras in the pool area of the apartment complex. One was aimed in the direction where the car had been parked, and the other faced a fence and gate exit near the Texas Avenue entrance to the parking lot. Camera one captures a blurry black and white image of someone parking Jennifer's car at 12 noon on January 24th, the same day she was reported missing. The quality of the image is too poor to make out the shape of the car or its immediate surroundings. It's also impossible to distinguish a person in the video. The car is parked in a visitor's lot in a spot next to the swimming pool. The occupant sits inside for 32 seconds before exiting. Camera number two captures the individual walking past a tall black wrought iron fence surrounding the pool. Every three seconds, this camera snaps an image. And in every image, the person's face is obscured by the black bars of the fence. The individual walks with purpose and in a perfect stride, 
face forward, never looking back. Presumably male, the person is dressed in what looks like workman clothes and dark colored boots or high top sneakers. The only detail that stood out to me is his hair, possibly tied in a bun or tucked underneath a hat. Twelve days elapsed before police released two photos of the person of interest from the surveillance video. It would take another few months before they released the entire video to the media. For years, law enforcement has believed that finding the identity of the person in the video is the key to solving the case. More of our story after this short break. The Fox News Rundown is a weekday morning podcast that dives deep into the major and controversial stories of the day. Hosted by the anchors of Fox News Radio. Subscribe now to hear a perspective of news you won't find anywhere else. Listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. This is Jimmy Fallon, inviting you to join me for Fox Across America, where we'll discuss every single one of the Democrats' dumb ideas. Just kidding. It's only a three-hour show. Listen live at noon Eastern or get the podcast at foxacrossamerica.com. Dozens of leads have come in. Tips have all been followed up on. But so far, that one break in the case has not come. What would be ideal? What would be the tip that you would need to break this case, or at least to make a a big step in this case? The, The biggest step in this case right now would be to identify the person that parked her car and walked away from the apartments where the car was parked. They know the person in that car may not be with her now, but they are certain this person knows something about where she is. That was former Orlando Police Department lead detective Joel Wright speaking with then-Fox 35 reporter Shannon Butler in 2008. I asked Shannon if she felt the same way about the car in the video now as she did then. I think finding that car was the moment where police knew this is not just a girl who got in a fight um, because the car was found so quickly. And I think the family also saw the power of what we needed to do for them because if it hadn't been for the media blasting her image, I mean, she was that night after those sorority sisters called, I mean, she's on the five o'clock news everywhere. You're watching Fox 35 News at 5. Family and friends continue to pass out flyers. Detectives are getting tips every hour. They say finding her car was a big clue, but they need the last couple clues to find her. With any missing person case, time is critical. And that car and the license plate Mm -hmm. and whatever, and if it had not been for us, the woman sitting in that apartment complex wouldn't have seen that car and noticed it and called it in. When you saw that footage, what were your thoughts? What took you so long to release that? I mean, I understand there's all sorts of reasons they don't release things, but usually it's because you're close to something, right? But they had nothing. We didn't know that at the time. I mean, we suspected that. We're live in Orange County tonight, Keith Landry. We've learned just tonight that the police want to get a closer look at some surveillance videos. And the video comes out and you're like, are you kidding me? That guy does the perfect steps where his face is covered by just a couple of inches of a metal bar. I mean, this is the luckiest guy on the planet. How does that happen? And, you know, you can't slow-mo it. You can't do anything. And then looking at it, of course, it's not the best. Like now, surveillance video is so much different, right? You're looking at this guy and you're like, 
okay, well, he's got light pants on, what looks like a, a white shirt, and, you know, some people think it's a hat. Some people think he's got a ponytail. Some people think he's got a man bun. You don't know. Everybody's thinking something different. And that's the best we've got? How's that possible? Cell phones. I mean, it wasn't like this was 1985. Nobody had a picture of these guys or girls or whatever they were. I've always thought it was a male. I see it, the video. It looks like they have some kind of like man bun in the back. That's what I see. People see all sorts of different things. I've seen that picture three million times. I mean, I could draw it for you right now if you want me to because I know exactly, I know where every bar is, you know, of his face. To me, it looks like he's wearing khaki pants and a white shirt. I don't know why the pants to me are khaki. It's a black and white video. And I've had people call me even at the time and said, hey, across the street, there's a grocery store. That's what they wear. I, in my head, had had it that was one of the workers that had something to do with it. And I remember that day looking around. A lot of them had white shirts on. They had painter's pants. They had, you know, khakis on. And he's very thin. Very thin. Very thin. And the shoes, uh, to me, they look like Black high-top sneakers or boots. From day one, Jennifer's brother Logan has maintained that the workers at Mosaic had something to do with his sister's disappearance. So I asked him if he thought that the person in the video looked similar to any of the workers he saw at Jen's condo. Were any of them dressed like the guy in the surveillance video? No, trust me, that's, that's, I... I wish one, no, to answer your question, no. Okay, so when you saw that surveillance video. I thought it was a female at first, to be very honest with you. Really? Well, I was in, we were in the Mall Millennium, very clear as day. Sergeant Rich Ring pulled us aside, showed us a video. I said, that's a woman, natural reaction, but it's not. It is a, I'm telling you, I stared at her probably, well, my father probably stares at it more, but other than him, nobody has looked at that and stared and done anything. And I'm fairly confident it is, a male that has hair pulled back in a little ponytail that high and tight and shaved on the sides. And I don't know if it's a worker at the complex, but you could go one route, like, look, like maybe a kitchen worker somewhere because you can see, like, the black shoes. Like, kind of looks like a cook somewhere, but I don't know. But at the end of the day, nothing points to that, so I go back to the workers. We've got better pictures over the years, and people have been kind and done different things and blown up and distorted, just did different colors. And age and height, I guess it's really hard to know. Well, yeah, they told us whatever it was. What is it? Five three to five five at first, the person. Yeah, but the angle at which that oh. camera hits—it's hard to know. I think. Well, of course, and that's why we don't—we take that with a grain of salt, and we always right. have. Because again, we think five three messing with my sister, get the f- out of here. Right. And then, because then, then you go to the flip side. Well, there's no blood, right? There's no struggle. Jen would have done something. I'm telling you, she would have. Like, that's, that's what stumps us all. And that's why, personally, I think when you lock your door, something happened from behind. That person in that video is the key at this point to finding out what happened. Yeah, I mean, as you know, it is the most important thing. We don't have anything else. We have that person driving her car. That's the case. And that, that's been the case from day one, you know? The point is, that was on their radar from day one. That's on our radar. That's, that's the case. They had her car. Somebody drove her car. That person has the keys to the whole story. Producer Jureen Tanner and I traveled along with private investigator Mike Toretta to South Texas Avenue and Americana Boulevard, the entrance to Huntington on the Green. Now, you see... He would be going... This way. Uh, there's no other camera. 
the Kessie family hired Toretta, a former federal agent, to try and move Jennifer's case forward. We're about a mile from Jennifer's condo. This is the fence that we've all seen on the surveillance footage. And there's another camera there, right? Two yes, cameras? Right. This is the way. Absolutely. The person of interest drove in through here. We Ford. believe it was this way in the angle he came in, yes. He parked Jennifer's car where? At the third spot on the left here. Oh, when he pulls into the parking space here, does he get out of the car right away? No, he waits probably 30 seconds and then eventually gets out and walks. Without ever looking back? Never look back. Like I was saying to Christina, it just seems interesting to me for something like this to happen, that you will park someone's car so close to where they live. It is strange. Whoever told this person to go park his car, or whatever the case may be, they had to be in a hurry or something, and they were just trying to, like... Just get out of the area. Just park it anywhere. Right. Well, actually, if the person wanted to be able to walk back, you would park it close so you could walk. Right. What really struck us was how close Jennifer's car was found to her condo. When Jareen and I made the trip, it was only a two to five minute drive, depending on traffic. If you walked it, it's only about 15 minutes. Mike Toretta suspects that the person who dropped off Jennifer's car at Huntington on the Green was somehow connected to Mosaic, where Jen lived. If he knows he has to go back to Mosaic, he figures, I'm not going to park it at Mosaic, or I have to take it out of Mosaic. I'll put it up the road a piece. And he knows this area. He knows what type of place this is, and decides to park the car here, hoping that nobody sees it for a while. And then if you know what type of place this is, like, oh, no one's going to notice, or no one's going to care. Right. There's no security. You know what I mean? And then he would have walked... Then he leaves and walks this way and out. Out. Towards Conroy. I see. And so this camera here is the camera that likely captured his image. I was amazed at how different the fence looked in person. I had viewed it many times before, but only in the video. That's a taller fence than I thought. Yeah. But kind of hard to determine height because height. Right, because of the fences. So his head actually comes up to the first bar or the second bar? Yeah, the first bar. The first bar? That's not short, all that short. No. He walks straight past straight his up. fence. And they don't know, you know, from after he disappears from camera. But this is no the idea. direction he walked in. But now, again, the, the dog scent brings them right on Conroy towards Jennifer's apartment. So it would be easy to walk from here to Jen's apartment. Oh, absolutely. It's right there. While we were standing at the pool fence, I asked Mike, what's it like as an investigator to watch a video where the face of the main person of interest is blocked at every shot. I mean, it's extremely frustrating. I mean, we have looked, or I have looked at this tape, I would say hundreds of times. And you're just looking for that one glimpse of someone which you'll never get on this film. And many, many people who I've interviewed say they've looked. You know, it appears to be someone, but nobody, as you know, can tell me for sure. It was just pure luck that this individual was, you know, filmed probably every few seconds and in front of the largest of the posts. It's amazing. I can't believe that 
that's all they have to work with. That's it. And that's all we have to work with. Yeah. You know, we know the car was parked. We know if someone got out. We know what direction the person went in, but that is it. And no matter what we try with NASA and people who can enhance tapes, nobody has been able to give us a better look at the individual. And that's after 14 years. Mm-hmm. And that video is already enhanced, the one that we're looking at. Right, and I tried to enhance it probably about three months ago, and I was unable to do mm-hmm. that. The person said they, they couldn't stretch it anymore. It's not terribly isolated over here. Well, I, mean, I don't know what it was like in 2006, but the people who lived there at the time no longer live all there gone. now. They're all gone. Mm-hmm. All gone. 14 years is a long time. It is. Just ask the Kessies. And that's why we can't leave anything unturned. We have to see if we can develop something, and we're trying each and every day. I feel like we're walking in the steps of this person now. Right. We're literally walking in the steps. Absolutely, yes. I spoke with Orlando Police Chief, Orlando Rolan, to get his thoughts on the video. All these years later, have your thoughts changed? 14 years ago, the technology was much different than the technology that we have today. If that situation had, God forbid, was to repeat itself, if it had happened today, I think the outcome would have been much different. The way that uh, phones could be tracked, the way that some vehicles Mm -hmm. can be tracked, all of that would have been uh, much different. Were there any important observations in that video we even had the FBI, FDLE, a number of agencies, NASA, try to enhance the video. They try to give us some information that would potentially yield some type of description of whether it was a white, Hispanic, male, female, and nothing was very conclusive. And I think it's important to keep that in mind moving forward. The chief has a point. There is endless speculation about the person of interest in the video. So I turned my attention back to the car. There was nothing taken from the vehicle. There was no blood or bodily fluids found inside. There was only a single latent print, which belonged to Jennifer. How could there be no other clues? I combed through excerpts of police files I had obtained, looking for more. There had to be an anomaly of some kind. And then, buried in the pages, I found what I was looking for. Detective Julius Gauze of the Orlando Police Department wrote of the police at the scene, quote, While observing the front of the victim's vehicle, these detectives observed what appeared to show someone having been pushed across the front head of the vehicle. I found out that requests were then made by OPD to photograph the hood of Jen's car. I spoke to Drew Kessie, who viewed these photos for the first time last year, when he obtained thousands of pages of police records. When we received the files from Orlando Police Department, we had about 130, 140 pictures of the car from every angle, anything you could think of. And one of the main pictures I've looked at many times in my life, it was just a better picture. And I, I looked at it and the very front right hood, honestly, to me, looked like someone was thrown down on the top of the hood, arms spread out, and then dragged back, almost like off the hood to the point where you can almost see fingers scribbling down the the hood. 
And it's the first time I had seen it. And it was, it was amazing. And I had called my son. I said, did you see this? Because we were all, you know, reading the files as they were coming in and what have you. And he said, yeah, I saw that. And we, we were able to get in contact with an ex-lead detective at the time. And I believe Logan spoke to him. But the, the outcome of the conversation was, is we said, did you see the front of the car? The hood and the lead detective said, Yeah, that's your crime scene. 13 and wow. a half years later. Wow. So, in reading through the files, also, it was brought to the attention of the, the people who were processing the car. However, nothing was ever done on the hood of the car as far as trying to take DNA or samples of anything with, within the car. The car, we no longer have the car either. And the car, well, the car still does exist, believe it or not. We do know where the car is, but it's of no value to us at, at, at this point that we can see. And then Drew told me about another discovery he made, a boot print. I'm looking at the inside of the car and the, the driver's seat and the console and what have you sitting there. And I'm looking at the rug just coming off the, the gas pedal and I, I zoom it out and there's like a, a boot print in the rug. <laughs> and I'm like, well, number one, that's a big boot print. That's not Jennifer. And I don't ever recall Jennifer truly having like hiking boot type stuff, you know, like mountain stuff almost, work mm -hmm. stuff. We weren't talking to, to Orlando Police Department, so there was really no one to confront on that. But it was never processed as boot or shoe print, not common to Jennifer. Mm -hmm. It's just something that I saw looking through the files and, and said, well, look at that. <laughs> mm -hmm. So never written about in the files or anything. In our next episode of House of Broken Dreams, travel with us to Florida, where we meet the people who know Jennifer Kessie best. The thing that I have, one of the hardest things wrapping my head around is how can someone so safe fall victim to this heinous crime. And here, how her disappearance has affected her loved ones. It consumed me. I mean, I'm not ashamed to say I was in therapy sometimes two to three times a week. It's very hard for people to really comprehend like how asinine this is and how crazy and the experiences that we've had and how hard, like, cause it's just like, you just don't understand, man. Hi, everybody. It's Brian Kilmeade. I want you to join me weekdays at 9 a.m. East as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and, of course, what you think. Listen live or get the podcast now at BrianKilmeadeShow.com. Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on Amazon Music or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.